Hello, welcome to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help to define major global stories. I'm Adrian Finnegan. A US brokered deal brought an end to the Bosnian war among Bosnian Serbs, Croats, and Bosniaks in 1995. But some of the ethnic divisions and tensions that sparked that three year conflict have continued to simmer for the past 26 years, so much so they're now threatening the unity of the Balkan nation. The Bosnian Serb leader, Milorad Dodik, is threatening to pull out of state-level institutions, including the National Army, which was built up with international assistance over the past quarter century, and to reconstitute a Serb force. The international community's envoy, Christian Schmidt, says that such threats pose an existential threat to the nation. All right, let's bring in our guests for today. From Sarajevo, we're joined by Hamza Karcic, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Sarajevo. Uh, From Berlin, Bodo Weber, who's uh, a Senior Associate at the Democratization Policy Council. And from Belgrade, we're joined by Alexander Brezar, a journalist usually based in Sarajevo. Gentlemen, welcome to the programme. Hamza, if we can start with you. Christian Schmidt says there's a very real prospect of a return to conflict in Bosnia. Is he right? I think he is. And this is the most serious political crisis that Bosnia is currently facing since the end of the war in 1995. We are not sure how this will move forward and what the outcome will be, but I would agree with Mr. Schmidt. Bodo, what should the international community be doing right now? Are the EU and the US taking this situation seriously enough? Um, there's rising awareness, fortunately, that uh, there is a serious situation and I agree with my predecessor that this is the most serious crisis we've seen since the end of the war. Unfortunately, this crisis is one of the West's, the EU's and the US own making. It's a self-inflicted wound, including what we've seen at the UN Security Council yesterday. So the West not only has not prevented this crisis to emerge, its officials are directly responsible for the emergence of this crisis. So they need to urgently make a U-turn and take this crisis serious and pull the plug but, and but, make this but, you, Bosnian you, crisis a top but, priority. But, but you say self-inflicted wound. What is, it, what is it that they haven't done that they should have been doing? Well, I mean, for 15 years, we don't, since, we, since the West has put over responsibility uh, for leading the country to the domestic elites, Uh, We are lacking uh, any uh, policy, uh, Western long-term strategic policy towards the region. That's what was missing. We created a vacuum in which uh, nationalists could thrive um, and in which uh, Russia could jump in as a no-cost spoiler. On the other end, for the last three, four years, in that vacuum, lack of political will to deal with the country and deal with a wider Western Balkan region we have seen mid-level officials who have been tasked with Mission Impossible to fix situations in the Balkan without higher level support that they, for careerist reasons, have started to collude with domestic nationalist leaders and their agendas, making an opening. And this crisis, what we currently see, is one that has started with EU-US negotiations on a land swap Kosovo-Serbia four years ago and then moved over to Bosnia on a dirty deal, ethno-territorial division one below the public radar and capitalist radar in in the town of Mostar last year, and the follow-up in so-called election law reform negotiations EU and US officials have been leading since February this year. Alexander, do you agree with what you've heard so far? Is the peace deal that ended the war uh, 26 years ago in in danger of unravelling? 
Um, I, I think this is going to be one of those shows where all of the guests agree in, in absolute principle when it comes to the fact that this is the biggest crisis that Bosnia and Herzegovina has experienced since, since 1995 and the uh, signing of the Dayton Peace Accord. However, maybe I'm I was a, I'm a born optimist, but I still do think that there are some checks and balances within the very Dayton Peace Accord, but also in the country itself, as complicated as it might be, as complex as it might be, that might prevent any kind of um, you know everything that we're seeing so far escalate into some kind of open, open, uh, open conflict the size of a war. Hamza, what is the mood? Uh, like there in Sarajevo at the moment? Are, are people genuinely fearful? Yes, I think many people are concerned. Uh, much of this reminds them of the fall of 91 when Radovan Karadzic and his ilk uh, began undertaking this months-long process that led to secession and genocide. So many people are drawing parallels, uh, you know, this fall 2021 to 1991. So I think many people are genuinely concerned. Okay. What do you think Milorad Dodik is up to right now? Why is he doing what he's doing and with whose backing? Well, he is now undertaking the most decisive and the most substantial steps uh, towards secession. Now, uh, previously he used to talk about an independence for Republika Srpska, but now he has fine-tuned his tactics. And now he's talking about peace while doing everything to undermine it. And he obviously has the backing of Serbia, and I think he hopes to get the backing of illiberal democracies in Central Europe. Bodo, Dodik says that if the West tries to intervene militarily to uphold the peace plan, he has friends who have promised to support the Serb cause. Who are those friends? How seriously should we take his threats? Well, I would say um, we've seen in the past few weeks that he definitely has a few friends among EU member states. Um, but this is not the biggest danger for Mr. Uh, Dodik uh, really implementing his plan. The danger here is that we are in a free fall, and I think we have passed the line where political calculation drives this crisis. Let me remind you that Mr. Uh, uh, Dodik, who is not the product, his autocratic regime, 15 years in the RS, is not the product of support by citizens who also don't support this dangerous adventure. It's a product of Western weakness. He has maybe 30 times in the last 15 years threatened with referenda secession, testing the West's red lines, experiencing that these red lines are not there and moving those red lines. Currently, because of that background I mentioned previously, um, he has been pulled by the accelerating weakness of the West and by uh, our officials, mid-level officials, really um, uh, playing into the hands of nationalist agendas. And I think he was hoping to get something in return for this threat, but he is, it seems to me, uh, pulled by the lack of a serious resolve and response into the direction for the first time, maybe now not seeing how to make a U-turn and stop this path to secession, but ha having to implement it. So, I mean, we are in a very dangerous terrain of miscalculation, political miscalculation, where really because of this power vacuum, everything can happen. Whatever the support from Belgrade is, I'm pretty sure that Belgrade, which itself is playing this game with Western weakness between East and West, and on the Russian end, even the Russian end playing on the Western weakness, uh, that nobody wants conflict. But um, as I said, we are beyond political calculation 
um, and the West is only slowly starting to wake up. So this is a very dangerous dynamic. Alexander, do you agree with that, that Dodik is uh, politically miscalculating? He says he wants peaceful dissolution, unravelling institutions like the intelligence and security agencies, the state court, the constitutional court. Uh, what does that mean for, for Bosnia-Herzegovina, the state, given what happened there? How can there be, how can he think there could be peaceful dissolution when one half of the country doesn't get a say in it? I think that's that's a really good point to make. I think there cannot be such a thing as peaceful dissolution because the Dayton Peace Accord itself does not allow or have a provision that would allow one ethnic group or several or a couple of ethnic groups to, as you said, peacefully secede. I think the only way to secede or split up the country would be through another war. Um, but yeah, when we talk about Dodik and, and his capabilities as a politician, I think that he, you know, he represents the the, the kind of populist at um, at, at its at its most in, in its most um, simple form. Let me put it that way. So, for instance, when he uh, brought in an accordion player to the presidency of Bosnia and Herzegovina to his office in the presidency of Bosnia and Herzegovina and sang songs and you know had hard liquor midday and called his mother, uh, he wasn't just uh, signaling uh, you know this kind of confidence that you would see in your average politician in the Balkans, you would all, he, what he was also trying to signal is, um, you know, that he is in charge, that he is making the right decisions for his people uh, in this very sort of folksy way. And, and that's the problem. I think this does speak to a lot of people in the Republika Srpska, but also throughout the region. Also, but at the same time, I do want to say one more thing regarding an earlier question. And, and, you know, you asked whether people are fearful. And I think a lot of that fear comes from, you know, previous experiences. Um, the country has gone through a very bloody war, as we all know, um, some 30 years ago. And, uh, you know, you have up to half of the population who suffers from some form of PTSD. People are very easily triggered and they're even more easily triggered. And this is where I don't think Dodik is miscalculating. I think he's calculating, you know, to his advantage. Uh, there, there's a... there even more easily triggered if you mention that you're forming re or reforming an army that was active during the 1992-1995 war and was responsible for you know a genocide against bosniaks all sorts of uh, atrocities and an earlier attempt at dividing the country so you know if 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 there's an answer to your question i think we can find it probably there hamza do you want to come in on that well, I think that Dodik is now, uh, many people think here that Dodik is not bluffing, that he's actually going to uh, strip the state-level institutions of their prerogatives and competences, and then take those and uh, empower Republika Srpska. So what he's doing basically is politics 101. He is establishing new facts on the ground, but he is also, he has built closer relations with Russia, uh, closer relations with Serbia. So now he, uh, he has you know, reframed his policies as bringing the country closer to what he refers to, to as an original Dayton, which is basically a euphemism for uh, dismantling and undermining state institutions. His strategy is very clear. He wants to undermine and dismantle state institutions to prove that Bosnia is incapable of functioning, while at the same time trying to build up Republika Srpska as a would-be a state-like entity. So, how is it? What will the high representative uh, do next? Will he make further use of the bond powers of 1997, which which grant him 
uh, powers to prevent the Dayton Agreement being delayed or obstructed by local politicians. I mean, they've already been used extensively, uh, but they're not without controversy, are they? Well, you know, the office of the high representative is a shadow of its former self, and it's actually presiding over its own decline into irrelevance. So now the, the new high representative, uh, Mr. Schmidt, who is not being re uh, recognized as a high rep by the Serbian side, uh, even if he were to imp impose sanctions or try to sack elected officials, it's not clear that they will actually obey this. So I think the what was left of the OHR is, is, a, is a pity uh, shadow of their former self. So they're not relevant as as much as they were some 10 years ago. Bodo, do you agree with that? How, how does uh, how how is this this solved? Does does Schmidt, as he is, have US and EU support for more vigorous action against those who oppose uh, the unity and, and territorial integrity of Bosnia-Herzegovina? Well, uh, I would agree with my predecessor that the OHR is not the one it was until 2006. So let me remind you when we had this policy shift uh, on Bosnia, the Western one, and shift of leadership from the US to the EU in the double shift in 2006, which created Mr. Dodik. Um, that uh, shift towards so-called ownership, that means pouring over responsibility to local elites. Um, this was a policy where we it was announced that, that uh, uh, the West would uh, close OHR. Um, and they, they declared basically success that Bosnia is a stable country, but as we had not transformed the Dayton constitutional order, which was and has remained an order for a dysfunctional state that only works for the eth ethnic uh, ruling elites, um, this did not work out. But uh, the West, because it was uh, never had a political will, never adjusted its policy and, 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 and was left without any strategic policy in return it was the West itself that neutralized the office of the high representative. So, I mean, the situation we see currently is we still have the, the instruments uh, to stop this madness, both on the civilian side with the high representative and his office, on the military side with the UFORM uh, military mission uh, and NATO HQ in Sarajevo, which with a Chapter 7 Security Council mandate to, uh, to guarantee a safe and secure environment and to protect the constitutional order of the country and the Dayton Peace Accord that Mr. Dodik is threatening to uh, unravel here. But, but as we have 15 years of policy weakness and, uh, and negligence and ignorance, including in the last year, um, we have a very serious question of whether the West is aware of what's going on and whether it's ready to use its instrument. And if I just point to you, you to yesterday's UN Security Council vote, uh, which was a historical break to me, on the annual extension of UFORM mandate in which Russia um, stepped up with a blackmail, threatening with a video, and the Western standing members of the Security Council, France, UK and US, out of a lack of political will uh, to fight back on that video and not, uh, and not accept that uh, video, uh, basically signed off Russia uh, on their blackmailing. Alexander, What's the role of Croatia and Serbia in, in all of this? Well, that's a really interesting question. I think, um, you know, the role of Serbia is quite, quite obvious as someone who is quite interested in uh, at least at the very least supporting the Bosnian Serb, um, the Bos Bosnian Serb regime uh, in the Republika Srpska and um, at least, you know, in some sort of form, whether it's um, through financial means as meager as that is or 
through you know just general verbal support. But what I think is indicative what is is something that can be gleaned from the last meeting that uh, Dodik had in in Belgrade with Alexander Vučić, the president of Serbia, where after the meeting Dodik came out and said, and he was in full support of the continuation of the EU4 mission in Bosnia, which was very interesting. At the same time, Mr. Vučić said that. You know, uh, Dodik and, and, and his cohorts should go for uh, finally solving the issue of, um, you know, land, um, state uh, property or state owned land that has not been resolved, which is another thing that Milorad Dodik has been trying to do over the years, which is transfer all of the state owned, so state, you know, owned by the state level agencies or government or what have you, property onto the entity. Um, and that has failed miserably several times in the past. That also, I think, can indicate that I at least believe that he does not have the full support of Vucic, and that Vucic is actually quite interested in possibly finding an alternative leader uh, for Bosnian Serbs in Bosnia, who he could work with much more closely and, and probably get more from. Um, as far as Croatia is concerned, I think, you know, obviously, since we haven't heard much from the Bosnian Croats on this entire issue, um, their tacit support has, as of many, many uh, years, um, been with SNSD and Milorad Dodik. So I think, you know, then again, politics in Croatia being what they are, they're more interested in pushing for the um, electoral law reform that uh, uh, Boda mentioned earlier, which is a completely different problem that Bosnia is undergoing at the same time. And it's something that we would have to, you know, have another entire other show to talk about. Hamza, we're rapidly running out of time here. Before the renewal of the UN peacekeeping mandate this week, Russia had threatened to block a resolution unless all references to the UN high representative were removed, potentially undermining further Christian Schmidt's authority as the overseer of the Dayton Accord. And that was after Schmidt had said that more international peacekeepers would have to be sent to stop any slide back towards war if the Serb separatists carried out their threat uh, to create their own army. What are the implications for Bosnia uh, of Russia's threats at the UN? Well, I would just like to, re to refer back to something that Bodo said. I, I think the U European Union force in Bosnia, U4, is woefully inadequate to deal with any security challenge here. So I think that the extension of their mandate in Bosnia isn't as important as we would have it, or as we tend to, to think, uh, you know, at first. So, but I think Russia is also, you know, uh, has stepped up its support for and closer links with Dodik. So I think he counts on Russian support in what he does. Bodo, what happens if Dayton fails? Uh, well, if Dayton fails, we're going to have conflict. We're going to have violent disintegration. I mean, the madness of, I mean, you see, this is a gambling by Mr. Dodik. What uh, Alexander mentioned about uh, the signaling of Mr. Dodik in this meeting with uh, President Vucic from Belgrade, is a clear indicator. He wants, um, this is a gambling of threats, he's threatening a disintegration of Bosnia to the West and wants a return, particularly from the EU, for stopping it. But that return, like his uh, Bosnian Croat partner, Mr. Chovic, on the election law front, is basically following something very similar. It's a, it's a phased disintegration of the country. One, he wants uh, basically an arrangement on an, 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 an approval from the EU and the US, uh, because what he wants and what Mitrovic wants is to turn Bosnia, redefine Bosnia, and they are doing this for 10 years. 
into a kind of union of entities and cantons. And that's basically, you know, ethno-territorial division, which would ultimately lead to disintegration. This still can be stopped in here. I don't agree with my predecessor. The, the West has the instruments to stop this. Um, U4 can act if it has the political will. Uh, they are utterly understaffed, undermanned, but they can call in over the horizon forces to stop any conflict. Um, but it's a question of political will. Um, and that political will was not there when, when the West was threatened with the Russian veto on U4. Um, and so they accepted this blackmailing in the, in the Security Council of stripping the resolution of extending the mandate for one more year from any language reference to OHR. And that by itself is, does not have legal consequences, but it sends a very dangerous signal, political signals of weakness, both to Mr. Dodik, to Belgrade, and to Russia, that uh, it is not clear that in a case of a threat, a security threat, which, which these announced steps towards secession would mean uh, that the West is ready to grant authority to the high rep okay. to use the bond powers on the political side and to you for on the other end uh, to, to, to act uh, on the military end. And that's a very dangerous situation. Gentlemen, there we're going to have to end it. Many thanks indeed to you all, Hamza Kacic, Bora Weber and Alexander Breza. And that's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Damien Lay, Maha Barada, and Abdurrahman Wasami. Studio sound was by Sentil Maramutu. The program was edited by Vinish Verilath, Linen Guyan, and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. And thanks for listening. We'll be back again on Friday. <laughs>